You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to the Break It Down Podcast, Downers. Uh, my name is Matt Carter, and I w- welcome you to the show. You may be a new listener, and you probably just showed up to hear JB from August Burns Red. And that's because he's quite popular. He's quite a good guitar player. He's quite a good friend of mine. And also, this episode is just freaking phenomenal. It was easy. It was smooth. It's so much fun to get to talk to somebody about something technical like gear, guitar, pedals, in-ear monitors, uh, traveling, touring, all those things. And JB is a great guy. Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with his band, August Burns Red. Check him out. Follow him on Instagram and that kind of thing. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you're new, again, welcome. Go to breakitdownpod.com. You can see my website there. And I hope you will just subscribe on iTunes. And if you like this show, check the other episodes out and tell a friend about it. This show is sponsored by Casper Mattresses. And let me tell you why Casper is so good. They're a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress that sold directly to consumers. So basically, they've eliminated the commission-driven inflated prices that go along with you know, normal mattress company. So it's an award-winning sleep surface that's developed in-house. It's got a sleek design. It's delivered in a small, how did they do that, you know, kind of size box. Also, they offer adaptive pillows and soft, breathable sheets. They make good sleep stuff. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress for almost two years now, and I freaking love it. I sleep great. I sleep better than I ever have before. They have a great quality and a great deal, and this is what I recommend everybody sleep on. You spend like... I don't know, half your life sleeping, don't you? You should get a mattress that you really like and that you really care about. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's got supportive memory foam. It's got a combination of different supportive memory foams, in fact, to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. You know what I'm talking about. With over 20,000 reviews and an average is 4.8 stars. So you don't have to go look that up. I'm telling you right now. 20,000 people averaging 4.8 out of 5 stars. So it's obviously quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. So the best part is free shipping and returns in U.S. and Canada. And you can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. So you've got nothing to lose. If you don't love it, if you don't feel the same way as I do about it, they will pick it up and they will refund you everything. Easy and painless. So this thing is designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. And all, all you got to do is go to casper.com forward slash down and use the promo code down. So you get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash down and then use the promo code down. And that's, uh, again, you'll be sleeping well and you'll be supporting the show when you do that. All right, that's all I got. Oh, I'm sorry. Emory's got tour dates. So if you live on the West Coast, go right now to emorymusic.com and come see us for 10 we're going to be going from Portland down through California into Phoenix uh, next week. So go to emorymusic.com and come see Emory on tour. All right, let's talk to JB. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. I'm ready to roll when you are, Matt. Well, that's what we're doing right now. We're rolling. So now we now you can officially I told you to hold off, but now you can officially ask me how I'm doing. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good, <laughs> man. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing well too. <laughs> 
I like your uh, where you're sitting. I you see the guitars in the background and everything. What is that? Your office oh, yeah. or, or what? Yeah, yeah. I actually recently got moved to the basement uh, where I'm sitting. Used to be a ping pong table set up here. And my wife is pregnant, so the room I was using has been turned into a nursery. Right. I meant to tell you, congratulations on that. Oh, thanks, dude. Very yeah. good. Very good. I remember you way back when you were just a single guy, just out patrolling all yeah. the time. Just patrolling. <laughs> yeah, you know me. When, no, no, not at all. But when did uh, when did we meet, JB? I want to just try to jog my memory. I'm glad to catch up with you today, was, so we'll spend a little time on that. 2009. Well, yep, tell, well, see if you can help me remember it. It was the Under Oath tour. That's when Under we Earth met. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's when we met. That or a fest. I was thinking it was maybe at a festival right before that or something. But yeah, about 2009 that was. Uh, I was thinking about that. That We tell the story. Uh, it comes up on the Bad Christian podcast a lot. The story we tell about the day we were in wherever that was in McAllen, Texas with Under Oath. And they were having that really bad day. Do you remember that one? Yes, and you put balloons in their in their bus. Yeah, that one. That, <laughs> that story comes balloons. up all the time, and how mad they got that we put balloons in, in Brent's yeah. bunk. The reaction wasn't great. It no. didn't go as, as <laughs> everyone was hoping. <laughs> they, um, it was weird because we were just trying to to lighten the mood because they were having a horrible day. Gillespie went to the hospital for something hypochondriac yeah. related, and they were having problems with the promoter. And Brent, the TM, was just having a really, really, Brent, their team, not Brent from your band, was having a really, really rough day, like really bad. Yep. And we stuffed his their bunk full of balloons, like just happy balloons that we had and thought that would be Stop funny. Now. Like, oh, now something real bad's happened. I've, my bunk's full of balloons and it was not received well. They were having a stressed out day. We were trying to lighten it. They got so mad. <laughs> that was great. And, and of all places, McAllen, Texas. Mm-hmm. That was the Christmas time tour too, wasn't it? Yep, it was in December. Yes. And you guys were doing like, you were coming out to uh, White Christmas That's right. acapella. Oh yeah, we'd sing a White Christmas. And we were wearing like Christmas pajamas to play in and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas <laughs> trees on the stage every night. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. I enjoyed doing that. When you're playing with bands like under Oath and August Burns Red, you have to do something to stand. You're not going to be tougher. You're not going to be heavier. You're not going to be louder. You're not going to be more technically proficient. So you might as well do something to stick out and be a little goofy. It's kind of yeah, just, my mindset. just be more entertaining. Yeah, which is what <laughs> um, You know what? On that tour, now we'll move into talking about gear and guitar stuff. I, I, that's what I really want to do today. Um, although, free to talk about anything you want. If you want to just start with talking about Trump, we can do that too. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, on that tour, I remember, and you may not remember this, but I remember on that tour, I did some. I was trying a bunch of different goofy stuff. I'd been recording a lot, and I'd been using amp simulators and things like that. And I took a Sans Amp PSA 1.1 rack thing, and I didn't even take a guitar amp on that tour. I remember I didn't. I didn't really enjoy it that much, but it was a. It was just an experiment kind of for me. I didn't take an amp, nothing, and just used two of those, and was the only guitar, and it was only mixed out of monitors and stuff like that. And I remember Tim from Under Oath giving me, laughing his head off at me pretty much every night. But I thought it was a pretty neat experiment, and I think it went over overall pretty well. But I abandoned it. Um, I'd been doing, and that was what, about 2009. Since then, I've noticed you and a bunch of other people have made more and more moves toward amp simulators and virtual amps. Mm -hmm. And I know Brent was playing a Kemper and stuff like that. So I wanted to start there and talk about that kind of thing. Yeah, well, it sounds like you were actually on the cutting edge of that, dude. Because to run, I mean, you were just running a DI signal, right? 
to the front of house, right? Yep. And I'd had to get them to mix in monitors just so I could hear myself. I just thought it, it was just an experiment for me. I'd done a million tours, and I'd been using that and enjoying right. it in the studio. I thought, could I pull this off with no gear? And I did, but ultimately, I didn't continue to do it. But tell me about that. that. Go ahead. Didn't even, didn't even bring an app to, as a plan B. No, no plan B. <laughs> just rolling dirty. Uh, yeah, so Brent and I are both running digital amps now. Uh, like you said, he's using Kemper. I'm using an XFX XL Plus. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you mentioned the DI thing because I'm actually, we're leaving for tour in a week and I'm running a DI signal to front of house for the first time ever. Um, well, not, I, okay, I did it back in 2012 with an old XFX and I, I never got a good tone dialed in. It kind of like soured me on the whole idea for a mm-hmm. little while. But I've gotten back into the XFX since I started using it again in 2014. But I was just miking a cab, running my XFX through a, a mic'd cab. And I've been doing that for years now. But I think our front of house engineer and I finally got uh, you know, my presets and patches dialed into a place where we're happier with, this, with the tone coming from my DI signal than we are coming from the mic'd cab. So mm-hmm. when we ABM and... It actually sounds a lot better, uh, the DI signal than than the mic to cab. So we're, I'm finally taking the plunge and going full DI. So how did you get? I mean, what's the reason? I want to talk more about the technicalities of what that is and how it works. Yeah. But how did you even arrive at moving that direction in the first place? Why not just what What were you playing before? You played fifty one fifty and yeah. dual rectifier uh, some, or what? What did you have before? 5150 forever, to yeah. be honest. Mm-hmm. That's what I played. I mean, I still love that amp. We still use it in the studio. Or, I mean, you know, I eventually moved to a 6505 plus, which is just right. the right. the 5150 plus, but blah, blah, blah. Um, I love that amp, but it was a real pain to... Basically, my rig was getting too complex with all the pedals and the patch switching that I was having to do. Mm-hmm. That I needed something... Uh, I needed a simpler solution. So I was using this... Uh, this MIDI switching hardware piece called the RG16 made by a company called RJM Music. Um, I think it's now called the Rack Gizmo. And basically what that was was a big, it was a pedal looper that also controlled the function switches on my amp. So I could hit one button and have it, you know, button one on my MIDI switch would be programmed for Switching my amp to clean while turning on my compression pedal, my delay pedal, my reverb pedal. Oh, you know, I could set it to what, whatever I wanted. Yeah. And I was rolling with that for a long time. You know, I had a, a rack shelf with like eight pedals. So all your pedals were through. back in your amp rig, not in front of you. Yeah. Right. For most, most of them were. And then I had a, you know, a MIDI switcher on my, my board up front. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that was that I... I would run into issues traveling overseas. Whenever I'd fly like my B rig of that, it would just get thrashed by baggage handlers and TSA. And, you know, I get my rack off of the the baggage claim at an airport and open it up. And my pedals are just like all over the place. And Mm -hmm. it it became kind of an obsession for me to like get this thing working where I could fly it and it wouldn't get destroyed by people throwing it. And I never quite got it there and it started to malfunction live and I was really reliant on everything working perfectly and it just... Because if, if something goes wrong there, you can't reach down and bypass a pedal by pulling out a George L and putting it, skipping the tube screamer and going no. right to the 
delay or anything. I mean, you have it was a back covered up in the rig. You can't even see it. You can't troubleshoot it. All that endless cables, yeah. just a massive. I mean, I try to like zip tie them together as best I could, but it was a mess. Mm-hmm. It was it was messy. I mean, it was a good solution when I was at home for or you know in the states, and I was able to take like my my big stack of you know two amp heads and a twelve space rack and all my stuff. But I, that, I just couldn't pull that off in Europe. It was it was too much gear, and I couldn't fly it all over. What were the pedals much. that were in in that? If you if uh, if you can remember specifically, yeah, like remember. what's a no, normal chain for you in um, analog way? Yeah, I had in the effects loop. I had a Boss DD7 delay pedal, mm-hmm. a Boss RV5 reverb, and those might have been the only effects pedals that I had in the effects loop. Everything in front was, uh, I had a compression pedal. Um, it was a Maxon compression. I forget mm-hmm. what the exact one, little, little black guy. Yeah. And I had a Ibanez TS-9 overdrive pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a T-Rex octave pedal. It was purple. I can't remember exact, exactly what it was called. Octaver, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sick pedal, though. It sounded awesome. And I had a 10-band EQ by... Mm, I can't remember who made it. It's it's a pretty common you know, EQ pedal, though, that I used on my, my clean channel. That's, what, that's all I can remember right now. Mm-hmm. And then I um, imagine you noise suppressed or gated somehow. Oh yes, I had a noise. I had a noise gate, and that was also racked up. I oh, used the boss up. too. Yeah, it was just on that pedal shelf with all my pedals. Yeah, yeah. And then I powered everything with the. Uh, for a while, I was powering everything with the Voodoo Lab pedal power yep. too. But that didn't do voltage switching, which became a real headache when we went overseas. Mm-hmm. So I started getting into T Rex. Power supplies. I was using a fuel tank for a while. And you, all you had to do is they, they can take two twenty right into it, just with the you just flip cost. a switch. Flip, flip the switch. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Which was crucial. But now I feel like all the gear I have, like in my current rig, I don't even have to flip a switch. Like it just takes whatever voltage you put in it. Just really convenient. Okay, so you're doing all that and you're having problems with it, and then meanwhile, you might have been a. I've, there's been a lot of people in the meantime. I've seen the rise of Axe Effects be a real popular thing in heavy music. So you were seeing other bands using that and pulling it off live. Like, how did you get influenced to yeah. start going that direction? Because Kemper is a whole different thing. Kemper, um, if people don't know, Kemper is an amp and signal chain model or emulator where you manually go through and mic up a signal chain and an analog amp and analog pedals and record the sound into it, and then it sends it back, which is very cool. And we used a Kemper on almost our whole last record for almost all the guitar sounds, but tons of different amp emulate uh, captures in there. But the Axe Effect is a, just a native processing, pure thing that does the amp, uh, does the pedals and the cab emulations all in it processing? Does all, it does anything you want. And you can even you can even do amp capturing like the Kemper. Oh, it the does Axe that too. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does it, it, does it all. Um, I don't, I've never done that. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I'm using... A factory amp that I've EQ'd the way I like it. But, so you started uh, seeing people out on the road with those. Like, what? Where did you get into? Yeah, that? they were getting popular. Um, our buddies in between the buried me started using them, and I've been like one step behind them always as mm-hmm. far as gear goes. They're the ones that told me about 
the RG16 and, you know, my, my RJM mastermind foot switch. And I got that whole idea from them. And then they graduated to Axe Effects, and I was like, well, maybe I should check this out. And I got one in 2012 uh, after tink I, I tinkered around with it for a while, and I took it on a tour in uh, Southeast Asia and Australia. And that's the first time I was running just a DI signal, and I did not have it dialed in well at all. It sounded really digital, just didn't sound real. I was never happy with it. Our sound guy wasn't happy with it out of front of house, and I sold it to... Uh, to a buddy at home as soon as I got home from that tour. And then, like I said, I, I switched back after doing my analog thing for a few years and having it get destroyed by, by TSA and, and baggage handlers and stuff. But I mean, we, we were, we were touring with, uh, like every metal band we went out with, it seemed like they were using digital amps and I was like really stuck in my old ways with the, uh, with all my analog rig. I had spent so much time and money building yeah, that man. thing out. So it was like a big commitment to like just abandon this. But it's more than that. It's not just the time and the money commitment. There's a purity aspect to, to it that I want sure. to get to. Like, I mean, there's a philosoph there's a philosophical like whole, it's just a whole thing. There. I mean, like you enter into DSP and processing for rock, you know, guitar for heavy metal and rock guitar. Something about yeah. that many people oppose. And I think anybody that's being honest has to admit that's some, that's, that's a new, what are we, at, at some point you got it. You just go, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're in, I mean, what's going on here? Like, it's a, it's a little bit weird, isn't it? Was it is it, weird, but I think it's important to remember that if you get stuck, I mean, things evolve and change and improve always. And, music and guitar amplification and pedals and, and it's, it's no different. I mean, I, I gave this example to my buddy recently. He was complaining that we were, we were talking about uh, the commissioner of baseball talking about adding for extra innings, putting a runner on second base Yeah, for starting extra right. innings. That's just something they're talking about to try to move the game. So along we don't past. have so many 15 inning games and go until right. two in the morning. Yeah. Cause 15 year old kids who, are stuck on, you know, they're not, their attention spans are shorter and they want the games faster and it's important to keep the next generation involved. Anyways, my buddy's like, Oh, that's so dumb. Like I hate that role. You know, they have to learn how it was. It's the old way or the highway. And I'm yeah. like, dude, like, would you be stoked if Apple stopped making iPhones after the first one? Like you just want the original or like, yeah. would you be stoked if we just were still riding around on trains everywhere and no one developed cars. And so things, Things improve and technology pushes forward and music is no different. Well, there's a parallel there with baseball and music. Baseball is probably the most of any sport that is like that. That they don't nobody they don't want to mess with it. There's a lot of purists. Right. It's about the history and the culture more. You know, NFL changes the rules every freaking year to make sure you know all <laughs> yeah. the time and they have, and, and they need to and they're <laughs> successful because of it. Because it's not things don't stay the same anyway. You bring up a good point because things don't stay the same anyway. That's a rule I use for everything: for podcasting, music, your marriage, yeah. whatever it is. Nothing stays the same. It's just a matter of who. Or do you want to be in charge of it or not? Do you, Do you want to sure. be driving? It's going to change no matter what. Do you want to be driving or not? But baseball is really bad about people not wanting to change, and music is too. People in music yeah. are. They say it's about something or some purity that I can't ever find the basis for. The far if you go back, everything was invented, everything was evolved. Distortion, for instance, is unnatural, isn't it? And then at some sure. point we act like, oh, amp distortion is real. Well, it was wasn't until it was. Right. You know. 
It's very true. But it's like, get on board or get left behind. That's I think. right. That's a good way to saying, say it. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying everyone who's playing a Marshall needs to go buy an Axe FX or a Kemper and mm -hmm. abandon what they're doing. But I also don't think that the people who are more keen on playing uh, a tube head, they, they need to understand that, sure, that can be for them, but it's also fine if other people are using these newer technologies that really sound pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. I mean, bands are recording albums with them and you wouldn't even know. Mm -hmm. So... I, uh, you know, the thing that I always felt was weird in that whole ball game is the cab emulation and then the mic cab. So the bizarre thing about a guitar signal chain is, <laughs> if you think about it, if you just want to trace the whole evolution, we'll just do that real quick. I mean, there was just these guitars and they were simply acoustic guitars or arch tops. And then they were trying to amplify them or put mics on them or whatever. And then they eventually did. And then the first electric guitars were just supposed to sound like acoustics, but they unfortunately couldn't recreate it. And you have that really plinky, clean, happy little sound like uh, Les Paul and Mary Ford or something, you know, that kind of sound, which is pretty neat. It's super clean and real plinky. And then it got to be louder and louder, bigger and bigger stuff. And then people start to drive those amps harder and harder. And then distortion and gain were really unfortunate byproducts of that process um, that people didn't like, except for it got to be part of the sound. And then that's what people started like. And I played my guitar for my grandpa one time. And he said, no, no, something's wrong. It's, your, your speaker's broken. It's got a hole in it because I was using distortion. He said, your speaker's, your speaker's broken. You need to get, you know, you know, that's what he kept telling me. I had a hole in my speaker. But to him, that sounded wrong and it was not right or whatever. But to me, that's the exact sound I was going for. And then yeah. now we start using processing chips and, and pedals to, to make distortion even before it even goes to the amp and so on and so forth. And then the weird thing about guitar is it goes through into the cab and out of the... Uh, speaker, which changes it unbelievable. It's probably the biggest transformation almost of a sound. Like a DI, if you plug the line out of a head into a recording device, it sounds horrible, or or at least it right. sounds unnatural or some something you're just simply not used to. But if you took if you took your stereo and ran it through a Marshall cab and tried to play like a Dr. Dre song out of your Marshall 412, that sounds horrible too in a different right. way. Like the frequency response is totally different. And so it's really hard to that. And then, oh yeah. And then on top of that, the sound we're used to hearing on guitar is a SM57 put in a specific spot on the cab right. and then run that <laughs> through a board and then outside of PA speakers. So it's by the time it comes out of a PA speaker that you're hearing a, a live band play through, it's like, it's the most mangled, different, very specific and almost random. It's almost random that it sounds the way that it does in a way. It's not really, at no point was it ever designed to be what it is. It's just what evolved. There's a lot of hands or, you know, a lot of people who can affect that sound in a live setting before mm -hmm. you're hearing it as, you know, someone in the crowd, that's for sure. And so it's somehow, so the part that gets real weird when you're trying to recreate stuff in digital is that part between the, the speaker and then from the speaker to the mic. That's the part that, that always I feel like gets lost or traditionally gets lost when you're doing amp emulation. That's what I was trying to get to. But you feel like that's, and then the next problem with that is stage volume and how do you monitor? Like, tell, right. me, tell me about that. Okay, well, um, I'm monitoring, uh, I, I wear in-ear monitors, so. Another super unnatural thing to do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And that takes some getting used to, yeah. but now I'm, I'm, uh, I can't play. Well, I, I could play without, but I would much prefer not to play without my in-ear monitors. Um, 
So I have Ultimate Ears. Uh, that's the company that made my, my in-ear monitors. They're sick. Um, and we run all of our, our uh, I guess, all of our lines go into a, an X32, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a little rack unit console that you run all the lines into. And then we control our volumes with an iPad, actually, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of bands are doing now. They it's, are. it's a cheap, portable solution to you can you know, mix your own wedges or in-ears with it yeah yeah and you know what's what's awesome about that is you you know you play a show in philly and you know you got your mix all dialed in it sounds sick go to the next show the next night in baltimore and you don't have to touch anything you know if, if every everything is set already so you just i don't hardly ever touch my my in-ear mix which is nice i mean the only thing i might adjust is like turn my volume up of just my guitar like slightly in my ears or turn it down slightly. I mean, I'll, I'll go weeks without touching. That's amazing. Touching my mix. Do you, are not, you using I, stage volume at all? Do you have cabs on stage or, or powered yes. speakers in the back line or what? We do. Um, and like I said earlier, my cab has always been mic'd and I'm just now on this next tour, I'm, I'm rolling with a DI signal instead. Um, but even more so my mix should be changing even less now because we're eliminating another variable in the mic because that mic gets taken off every night when you pack up and then it gets put back on. If it's not in the exact same spot, your tone will change slightly. Yeah. Yeah. If it's angled different, it sounds way different. Right. So now that I'm going to be running that DI signal straight into my in-ear monitors, I mean, my tone is going to be the same every single night and there's no tube variance, you know, some, your amp, I guess, technically could sound a little different from day to day, your tube amp. Not that I've, I'm, I'm not saying that I have an ear to hear those nuances, right. but uh, I guess that's the thing. So there's a there's a lot of consistency in the way we're running our our live monitoring, which is really nice. And so, what is the stage volume then? What I mean, why do you need what What do you use? Do you use guitar cabs or power yeah. speakers? And what what what's the point if you have in ear monitors? Well, the point was. Obviously, I was miking it, and that's what was getting sent to front of house for forever. I mean, un- until, like I said, this upcoming tour. Um, the point in some venues, there is no point to running a live a live cab. I'm running uh, a Mesa Boogie uh, recto cab. Mm-hmm. That's what I've always run. I love them. Um, depending on the tour and what our backline setup is, I'll be running either a two twelve or you know a four twelve, and. I guess if you're playing like some big 2000 cap theater with a great PA, there's no point in having a, you know, a live cab on stage because no one's going to hear it. But if you're playing like a 500 cap club and there's no barricade and people are right up against the stage and, you know, some people might even be a little bit in front of where the PA is, you know, yeah, yeah, then you might want a little stage volume just to fill in that sound for the people who are in up up close. Yeah. And I think that's important. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool. I think stage volume is cool. I know our, our sound engineer would say otherwise. I mean, the less sound on stage, the easier, easier it is for him to mix with perfect clarity through the PA. That's true. But that's only if you have your sound engineer or a really good one, that's consistent and whatever. This one of the most bizarre things in the world to either stand, first of all, to play or to stand side stage and watch a band play with no stage volume. Now, it theoretically gives the sound, the front of house engineer more control, but 
it is like it's like a weird it's like you're in a weird dream like you know you're in a dream where you're trying to punch and you can't or you know yeah. it feels like that it's like you're right. do is you not because you have this thing where you think you take your pick and you you know you're get, guitar playing is so physically nothing it's like this it's the least physical thing possible but you have this strong association with like palm muting and a big rig and your jeans blow back against your leg and you feel like it's yeah. like you feel like you're doing something powerful and then when you take the stage volume away and make it just a little thing in your headphones it's like ding 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 click 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 like yeah. the heaviest music in the world it's just the most feels like a bad dream like bullets fall out of your gun or your teeth are falling out that's what it feels like to have no stage yeah. volume from that power that you are used to having or you associate with the with the thing I saw Jimmy World the first band I ever saw that I was side stage for a Jimmy World show somewhere and it was it was way back. It was probably two thousand eight, and they just had their amps in isolation boxes. They had real amps, but they were soundproofed yeah. with the already pre mic'd inside or something like that. And I, I was I was just kind of devastated, like watching Jimmy Eat World with I could hear the sound coming out of the mains over there, and there was nothing from the stage. And I I, I was so disappointed with what that felt like or meant. Like yeah. you had this that vibe of the band blow you know blowing the doors off the place, but they were making almost no sounds at all. It was sad. <laughs> hey, now, now they're running DI Dax effects. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean they, they were ahead, I'm sure, on that. And it makes sense, of course. I mean I mean I get it, but it's it's a little bit weird. But I mean I, I like trying stuff like that. I'm not against it. I, I you know don't hear me wrong. I'm not against it. I think you gotta keep moving and I'm I'm into it for sure. Yeah, it's just a different way of, of doing things live. And I think that it's super... What uh, One thing that I love about it is how portable everything is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have this huge rack anymore. I have like a little a little eight-space rolling rack that is not cumbersome at all. And when we go overseas, like I have a Pelican case that... Gosh, yeah, that's, that's good my, stuff. Yeah, I mean, people have started traveling with the little tiny terrors and stuff like that, you know, yeah. just ways to fly because flying's the worst. And that weans you off of caring about your gear in a way. Uh, and it's a little it's a little bit weird, I mean, because you can be really into gear, but there's some level that you transcend gear. There's a phase most people go through of de-emphasizing gear, and there's all kind of range of philosophies across that. But I recently read a Tom Morello article, and he got a lot of backlash and trouble. Do you know what I'm talking about? He, yeah. He, yeah, he just wrote an article or did an interview that was written up in an article about he, his strong stance is, and I love the boldness of it and the point it makes, that gear never matters ever at all in any way. It's, he puts it, and that's not his direct quote, but it's it doesn't yeah. matter at all just, about gear, period, is what he says. And I thought that, did you read that article? No, I thought you meant do I know who Tom Morello is? Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, who you certainly know who yeah. he is. But in this article, he he said that, first of all, he's played just a Marshall head and cab 412 and that whatever guitar he has, a Kramer, some weird guitar he has. It's the only really one he ever plays. And it's quite interesting because he's known as an innovative guitar player. But he says gear doesn't matter. Now, some people hammered him and criticized him and said, but you use that whammy pedal. Like, what? you couldn't make that sound if you didn't have that whammy pedal. But it's just one pedal. It's a Digitech whammy pedal into a plain amp with no channel change. And he says that that's the gear he had. Therefore, that's the gear he wrote on. And he he said it it would always be inefficient to spend time thinking about acquiring, buying, learning how to use gear, that time would matter-of-factly always be spent better on him working on the music itself, playing guitar, practicing, trying to come up with new stuff. That's his, That's how he arrived at that. He would never think about gear, he said. So wow. I have some gear. This is it. And 
any time I spend on anything other than music is a is a waste of time. Always better put into the creative is what is what his point is, that which is I really very like. minimalistic approach. <laughs> yeah, but it goes on a little further than that, and I really admire it. And I like both sides. You know what I mean? Like I'm on both sides of this because I love gear, yeah. but. You know, he says uh, that if he, even if he, like he had to fly somewhere one time and they had backline, there's nothing he could do about it. And he thought it sounded horrible. But then he said he thought about that for a minute and said if that would have been the gear that they would have given him when they started raging his machine. Interestingly, he says, well, I would have just used that and I would have written differently because of it. Like if it sounds thin when you do this, then I wouldn't have done that. I would have written into and leaned into what that did and I would have found that and then I would have done something awesome with this gear and then it would have sounded exactly the way it was supposed to. Maybe you would have done something awesome, yeah. but maybe not. I mean, that's an extreme way to look at it, but he's just saying like yeah. if you have a clarinet and you don't try to use it to make a, you know, whatever, a big sound that it doesn't make it just it does what it does and then you get really good at it and then you'll be in good shape and so in that regard he's become even more innovative than most guitar players because he's not sitting there worried about how to get the delay mod on the whatever from china to put in you know all that he's not wasting all his time doing that kind of stuff and and he has a sound that you hear and you know it exactly like that so it's all about style stevie ray vaughn nothing strat into the whatever Fender, DeVille, whatever he played, never going to think about that again. But you know him when you hear him, no matter what. Sure. But I think that also comes down to what you're playing on the guitar mm-hmm. and how you write as much as your gear. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are huge factors as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, of course, it's like, you know, depending on your style and what you do. But I think the more the time goes on, the biggest compliment that I would want to receive is regardless of what gear I'm playing, oh, that sounds like Matt. Like, that's it. That, if I, whatever that, like, I remember, do you remember being, do you remember learning to play guitar and thinking about how Billy Corgan has a style or these people have styles and you're like, wow, that's so, Jimi Hendrix, sounds like Jimi Hendrix, all that stuff. And then, like, how awesome is it that, and and at that time, you, I'm sure didn't have a style. You were just learning tab and stuff, right? And then now you sound like JB. When did that happen? I mean, isn't that, isn't that so cool that like you you sound like know, you man. like I, that should be the biggest compliment ever like you and you do by the way, um, but you you sound like JB from August Burns Red like that's no matter what that is that's amazing. So I changing like your gear sounds- all the time would almost detract from that. It seems like not that I'm not saying you doing this digital. I'm just going both no, sides. No, of this I thing. know. Well, I then the whole digital thing. I, I mean, I'm trying to replicate what my my 5150 sounded like that's right. like i'm not that's trying right. to change my tone i'm just right. trying to change the way i get my tone mm-hmm. i guess but as far as like having your sound i don't think that's something that you can even like i don't think that's something anyone realizes about themselves that's something people realize for you yeah you know, someone might eventually like i couldn't tell you when i like fell into my my sound no i know you can't pinpoint the moment yeah. but i just want to reinforce to you and congratulate you in case you uh, hadn't realized that you're jb from august burns red and you sound like you and we know it when we hear it and that is awesome okay. i mean that's that's really exciting to me kind of reflecting on it and in fact i have a track um i think i have a good example that i'm going to play in a minute but uh i just uh it's it's real weird for me if i can fly somewhere in and just say get back line i'll just i just say I try to get it so simple like I don't care what it is I'll, I'll carry my guitar maybe my pedals and then I just show up and say just whatever it'll it'll sound like me like that's a feeling that yeah. I feel like a mature I'm not trying to like show off or brag or whatever but I'll show up give put an right. amp on the stage and it'll be me like that to me it feels just super super yeah good. that's kind of plus 
on the other hand, I've had to make a different set of decisions given that we don't have a front of house engineer. We've that we've been able to develop and keep. We don't operate. We don't play two thousand cap rooms. The biggest we ever played is five hundred. You know those kind of things. So what we do is totally different than what than what you do on scale and size. But I've I've t- paired my. I've kind of gone the opposite direction lately, and I just play a combo amp of whatever's there, and I'm just gonna go and t- tweak oh. it and make it sound like me, and then I'm gonna be me, and it'll it'll be okay. And and that's what I've been doing lately. I really get it. I don't. We don't use click tracks or in ears. Nothing. Yeah. We don't even do not not even tracks. Nothing. Such freedom. Yeah, it's just it's different. Like it, it makes you think a different way. Like, but it's you're fun, a rock you know. band. You're yeah. just playing rock band. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally it's, different. It's pure. But we spent years building the big rigs and getting the click tracks and the tracks and having the interface and all the you know all that stuff, which is really fun too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I love doing. I just love. I like getting in spaces where it's difficult and I don't know what I'm doing. Now I'm you know paying attention all of a sudden like i kind of like things to be chaotic and different all the time so <laughs> that's me sure. um but to the point let's see we'll play a little bit of music here to the point of you sounding like you i'll give a really good example of that you i'm sure you remember that's a dumb question to answer but do you remember when you played on an emory album yes <laughs> i don't know if anybody it's not an it's not our most popular song and not even our most popular album it's called we do what we want but you were coming up i guess y'all were in tour california and it was like you were going to be in town and i was in the studio working on our album and we're like we should we hang out we were in seattle i believe yeah you were so you were just coming up the west coast oh okay and i, I was like we should hang out when you get into town and i was like why don't you actually come in i'm in the stu- i'm in the studio anyway why don't you come in and play on a track that'd be fun i don't know if people do a lot of collabs like they do in rap or whatever i thought it'd be fun to have jb come in and and do this so i left a spot at the end of a song that i was arranging and i sent it to you um you tell you tell how do you remember that and i'll play the track in a minute what here's what that? happened uh yeah, you sent me you sent me like the what you had so far. I don't know if it was a demo or just what you had tracked so mm. far. And I I did what I would have done with an August Burns Red song. I tabbed out what you had written into my Yeah, habit I thought program. that was so crazy that you do it that way. I, I wanted to <laughs> highlight that. So you started yeah. by taking what I already had and you wrote it into tab on this tiny little toy yeah, toy laptop or something. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Um, it's a program called Tabitha that I've been using since we started, since Thrill Seeker uh, back in 2005. And so I, I wrote out the chord progression and, you know, put a little drum beat over it. In tab? And I, That's how you think in tab? Well, no, not necessarily, but it's it's nice. It's It's a good tool for me to be able to, like, visually see what what I'm doing and to number one, remember what I'm playing. Mm-hmm. If once I, you know, if I write something cool, I'll be like, and like tab it out quick. So then I can, you know, move on to the next part without having to like memorize how to play this part. But most people would just record it on a handheld recorder or voice memo. So you want to put it visual into a tab. That's what I find bizarre. Well, and I also, I, I guess the, the reason we started doing tab was when I'd write a song, I didn't have to sit down with the rest of my band and be like, here's how you play this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, here's the tab, go learn it. It's a teacher. I mean, and we're all used to using it now. It's, it's way easier than sitting down and trying to explain mm-hmm. every little riff and part to someone. But anyways, for this, for the summary song that I played on, I tabbed it out and then I would just loop the part over and over and just kind of jam over it with my little rolling microcube practice amp backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I, you know, figure out what I wanted to play, 
I'd just tab it out and then I'd probably sent you the Tabit demo. Yeah, you, you know? did. And I loved like, it. I thought hey, it was so cool. I was so excited about it. I had no idea what you were gonna do. I just wanted you to I wanted you to do what you would do, not what I would do. And that's that's how it turned out. Do you ever write directly into the tab? Do you ever start by typing the numbers into the on the strings on tab and then listen to what it sounds like? Or do you always play it and uh, then type it? I almost always play it, then type it. Okay. Seldom do I I I there there's a part in a song from our record messengers that I wrote on tour without a guitar in my hand. It's like a, a thrashy riff in a song called the balance. And I really don't like this part at all. Um, anymore. I don't even know if I liked it at the time. I, I didn't write it with a guitar in my hand. It's an awkward part to play. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's one example of a time I can remember just writing something out before I played it on guitar. It's, it's definitely not, uh, it's better to play it and then, Punch it into tab as far but as do, when you look at that tab stuff, does it mean anything to you to see 14, 16, 18? Yeah. Like, you know, like you know what it sounds like by looking at it in the way that somebody like me or uh, somebody better than me looks at notation and can yeah. see. Like I, I can look at notation and see a major seventh chord. I know what exactly, I know okay. what it sounds like when I look at it to some degree, not perfectly. It's like reading the matrix yeah. essentially. Like, you know what I mean? Like you could just, you know what it means eventually if you see it enough. Yeah. I don't know if I'm, if I'm that good at it. I, I feel like I can, I can like hit play and read along and almost like play along with it too. Wow. Like, Lesson skill too. Now if it's, oh, it's, if it's, it's called, yeah, that's called guitar hero. I think. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, I mean, if you just tab something random yeah. out and hit play and told me to play along to it, I couldn't do it. But if I'm refreshing like an old song and I can just look at the tab and be like, oh yeah, yeah. like that's how that breakdown goes. I can just kind of see it coming and and play along to it. I just thought that was so neat how you had it. You brought the little laptop and you, you sent it back to me. I was like, oh, it's awesome. And then you got it and then you had it on the tab and you sit down and we tracked it. I think we tracked it in with an emulator. We didn't use a real amp and we sat there until we got it. And we did the harmony. And you know what I can't remember? I played the song live. I, this is really fun for me because we played the song live a bunch and I get to play this solo that is not at all in my style, but I can play, of course. And so yeah. it's really fun. I don't remember if I tracked even the harmony on the record. or probably, You probably did both parts, and then I subsequently learned it. But I'll play it for you, and you can hear as far as the Emory thing goes. It's nothing I would ever do. It doesn't sound like Emory at all. I'm sure some people never knew it was you and thought, Matt, wow, Matt can shred, which I would never write <laughs> in that style. But I get to play it live, so it's pretty you fun. You can shred. You can shred, though. I can copy your shredding. I mean, it's not my brain doesn't think that hey. way. That's still that's still shredding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to your point there, that's a whole other issue. But maybe shredding is one of those things that's very much where you get, develop a vocabulary by strict emulation and tab. You know, tab. Like it's yeah. it's less. Well, it'll sound like insult, but shredding can be less melodic. Will it, we, we, you'd agree to that, right? Uh, absolutely. In that it style can, where you're it, just doing throwing all these it, super fast sixteenth note modes on top. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's not like you're it's hearing cool all that. If the song sucks, even if you're shredding over a song, but the song sucks, who cares? If yeah. you're, it's a, the song is more important than the difficulty. Yeah, of, co of course it is, Always. but I find that the best musicians to me are a cello player or a jazz trumpet player or somebody who improvises and they can hear it in their head and it comes out in real time and they're hearing the notes and they're coming out in real time. What I, where I draw the exception is, and people like me have to arrange to get that. I can't do it. I can't improvise in real time and do all that. And you arrange too, no, not a knock on you, but then, no, I, I can't. but then, I, the, not a good but then shredders, the knock on shredding guitar players is the ones where they learn all these licks, scales, modes, things like that, and then get super technically proficient. And they just, 
blasted out on top of something. And technically it works because they know a mixolydian on blah, blah, blah. And they're just doing it. And it's, there's, they're, they're playing so fast and so from memorization and have some vocabulary, they're not hearing those notes before they play them. They're, they're surprised when they hear it too how it sounds in context. You know what I'm saying? That's when that's when I go, this is not what I want to do with shredding. However, the part I'm going to play now for you, people will call shredding, it's incredibly melodic. And that's why it's badass. And that's part of the key to, that's who you are. That's what I identify as what makes JB sound like JB. You're doing stuff that people are calling shredding because it's proficient, but you take the time to arrange it and make it melodic and lyrical and thoughtful. It's not just showing off, jack off, whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's not jack off at all. It's not. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, somebody could accuse that here and there, but know, especially yeah. this part and a lot of stuff on your records, I just find it to be quite melodic. And I think that's part of the key to your success and a tip I would give shredders. Spend a little more time arranging and less on the licks. But anyway, I'll play the context of the song at the end of this for the solo. Nice work, JB. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Hey, you recorded it. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's the easy part. I just I didn't even use an, a microphone to record. I just put it on uh, <laughs> eleven or uh, amplitude. I don't know what simulator it was, but I think it was eleven yeah. Digi's uh, simulator. There, that whole record is all amp simulations. There's no amps on on it. Really? Yep. Um, but you know, it's easier in the studio to get right. Live is where I've always had problems trying to get it to work. But it's weird. Some people use amps live and not, I don't know it, there's no rules to it and that's the rule we use in recording at least is uh, if it sounds good it is good so that's exactly. the way I think of it uh, what else do you want to talk about I don't know man <laughs> I, got, I, have a, I have a signature guitar coming out do you really your, Ibanez, your green Ibanez yeah. is your design right that's right yeah Ibanez is releasing uh a signature model of, I guess, my green guitar, the mm -hmm. one back here. Yeah. I grab it. So, I mean, it's not this one exactly, but it, it looks like this, and it's pretty sick. I think it comes out in, like, August soon. It's coming out soon. Oh, yeah. So that's exciting. I know something else I wanted to say or pay as a compliment to you is I think a lot about this. I'm Like I told you, I'm bad. Uh, I don't know that I'm bad on attention span exactly, but I like to do different things pretty intensely and with focus for maybe a few years at a time or months, but I don't continue to do the same thing. So as a guitar player, for instance, I always wonder, 
should I just should I not be doing podcasting and try to learn recording and try to do all these other things? Should I just have gotten better at guitar for my whole life? And I think I always think what would my path be if I if I because there was times when I was practicing guitar four hours a day, five six hours a day. Just I didn't think it was practicing. I just that's just what I was into, and that's right. how I got good at guitar. And then when I did get good at guitar and especially got out on the road, my life changed. And then I didn't never do that again. Like I never play guitar at all. And I always think about how wrong that is. It feels wrong. Like I was good at it. I was able to even make a career out of it. And then I kind of stopped doing it at that level. And I wonder for the last 15 years, what if I just made myself care about guitar primarily, not business, podcasting, recording, whatever other stuff. Maybe I'd be really good. Maybe I'd had a career, better career as a guitar player and stuff like that. And I always think, because I mean, look at JB. You live and love and breathe guitar. You put those licks up on your Instagram, which everybody should follow. I'm, I'm, it makes me kind of angry at you for oh. loving guitar so much for so long. Well, I do love guitar, but I'm, I can't say that I'm like sitting down playing for four hours a day, though, either. No, at this but, point. You, but you live it. Like you, you, you're still, yeah, you still, guitar is your thing still, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is for sure. I mean, I, I, I just haven't, I guess ABR has done well for years and I haven't had a really a great opportunity or a break to go and try to do something else. I don't know that I really want to do anything else. That's, either. Right. Like That's I, what I'm saying. You're not bored of it though. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. I, I, like from my brain, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm not bored of guitar, but if I'm playing guitar now, I want to learn big band jazz on an acoustic and learn to improvise <laughs> jazz. Like if I was sitting down on a guitar and had free time, that's what I would be doing. But right. um, how are you not bored with it? Like you're clearly not. And I don't think you should be. I'm just saying from my brain, how, how do you not get bored of playing metal guitar? Well, I sometimes get bored of playing metal. I say to my wife sometimes, if we're just like in the car driving and listening to something, I'd be like, Oh man, like it'd be cool to be in this band. Uh-huh. Like, and not have to work so hard, I guess, at playing hard things. But some, that's something I think about. I mean, it's, it's the, one of the reasons I have to play guitar as much as I do is because the stuff that I write is still hard for me, even old songs. I mean, it's still hard. If I don't practice it, then I lose it. Yeah. So I have to keep up with that. I mean, this morning I just was practicing for our upcoming European tour. I mean, just playing through songs that, I mean, playing through messengers. I mean, it's your job. You ought to be practicing. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you should, I don't know why that doesn't click with me in that same way, but of course you should be practicing your damn job. Right. It is definitely my job. And I treat it as that. And I like having like, I take it seriously, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I want to keep up with it, and I want to do a good job, and I want to play well live. And but it's not hard; uh, like you, you enjoy. It. I mean, you're like, oh crap, I hate yeah, doing this, uh, but it's my job, and I need to pay the rent or whatever, mortgage, whatever. No, yeah, I mean, some days you don't feel like practicing, but it's definitely more fun than <laughs> punching a clock at the grocery store. I mean, that's <laughs> no what I was doing that. before I did ABR. I was, I was working at a grocery store. So, do are you a lot better at guitar than you were, let's say, five years ago? Or, or does it all just keep, I mean, does it feel that way? I think I'm better, but it's like. I mean, do you, do you even think of it athletic? Like, oh, I could play this at 180 BPM and now I can play it at 198 and hope to be at 212. You know that you don't think that way, do you? Or you do? Well, sometimes I have to, if there's a part that I, I mean, every, every new album we do, I mean, there, there'll be a part that we're, you know, we're going to play this song live and I'll be like, oh no, like I that one part's really hard. Like I need to drill this at a slower tempo and, and build it. And there's, there's parts, you know, we have, we have a new record that we just finished recording earlier in this year that, you know, we're starting to 
to prepare some new material and stuff. And I'm, I'm having to sit down with the metronome and, and drill and start slow and build up again. And, uh, that's like not the sexy fun side of playing guitar, but mm-hmm. it's kind of necessary, especially if like, I don't want to get on stage and blow the solo. Like I need to practice <laughs> it and, get it slow and, and, you know, get it down. That's what it was like when I had to play that part for the tour. Everybody's like, are you going to be able to pull it off? I was like, I'll pull it off. Don't worry. But it's still coming in one day, two day. The night before, I didn't really have it licked. You know, I just, the day, the day of, I'm drilling it before the first show we played that. Like, I don't normally do that with our music. I just kind of know it or whatever. But learning that, I was like, uh, this, first of all, during the middle of a solo, worst, I mean, if I make a mistake in a chord somewhere, okay. But when it's me playing a shreddy solo to show off, and then you mess up. You look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And it happens. I mean, it happens to all of us. You when, have that happen sometimes? You'll get up there and do like oh, brain yeah. fart or a song you haven't done in a while? Or you like, you go, oh, I'm, I'm actually unprepared on this European tour or stuff like that? Well, I hopefully won't come to a whole tour unprepared. But if we do like a one-off show, you know, we'll be, for instance, we just did a festival up in Quebec. Um, we hadn't played a show for maybe a month before that. And when I go into those shows, you know, I practice and we do a couple of rehearsals as, as a band stuff, but my mentality coming into that is like, number one, I don't want anything to go technically wrong with my stuff. Like mm-hmm. I don't want my wireless to cut out or like, I just want not, no technical issues for anyone. And that number one, that's like, if that happens, it's already like a good show by just like the baseline of a mm-hmm. good show. And then number two, I'm like, just don't forget how to play any of your parts. Like if you play, maybe I'll slop, through a section, but I still remember how to play it. It's not like I had to stop or anything or like, I didn't forget and stop. And if I can get through all the parts and nothing goes wrong, then chances are almost everyone in the crowd is going to go, cool. Yeah, that was a, that was a good show. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to hear the slight nuance or the slight imperfection in my right hand while I'm tremolo picking apart. If I'm not like perfectly consistent or something like that, you know, like those little details that I hear, especially because I'm wearing in-ear monitors. I mean, I can hear every little scrape of my pick crystal clear. So I'm going to be much more critical of what I'm hearing than what people in the crowd are hearing. Cause they're hearing everything blended right. together nicely the way it was meant to be heard where I'm hearing my guitar much louder in the mix than anything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think if I'm, if I'm satisfied, I know that the crowd will be satisfied yeah. probably more than satisfied. They'll be stoked. Yeah, as long as the other bums in your band know their parts, that is. Right. I just <laughs> if I do my job, they'll do theirs and we'll we'll be all right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you guys always were did a really good job of taking your band seriously. I've always really admired that. You fit you've kept the same crew and you stayed in a van way longer than you had to and you you guys yeah. have a super good work ethic and it it couldn't make me happier to see it pay off and stuff like that. It's just oh, it's awesome. So. Like it, I guess it was only going to happen one way and, it, and it's happened the way that it, that it should happen and did. I'm very happy about that. If it stopped for whatever reason, what would you do yeah. next? you have any idea? Like just say you couldn't play guitar, didn't want to, or everybody started hating metal and there was no living to be yeah. made. <laughs> what what would you do? you have any idea? I'd love to. Since you put your whole, the idea being since you put your whole life into guitar like this. Right. I'd probably want to do uh, band managing. Um, that's something that I've I've been active in I've been active in managing ABR for since the beginning and we're actually self-managed now. So, uh, Brent or the guitar player and I manage the band. Nice. So we have a lot of That's experience. Way to go. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing 
next year will be our 15th year as a band. So we've been doing it for a long time and we understand how the business works. And it's, especially from just being so hands-on for so long, I, I'd love to get into managing other bands. Do you manage your band and, and even take uh, some pay and stuff for doing that? Is there a business deal involved? Yeah, there is. Cool, there is. that's smart to do. Sometimes people have a hard time doing that where there's, I mean, Emory's always been a super good band of being able to, one of the powers we have that is allowed a small band like us to survive is we've been able to let different people lead and do different things in different ways. But some of those right. bands that have pure democracy, everything kind of get stifled and bands that are able to figure out how to let certain people do certain things. It's, it's another super smart thing. And yeah, you know, everyone has their pros mm-hmm. or everyone has their strengths, you yeah. know, and it's not like, it's not like when Brent and I took over managing, it, it was saving the band money, even to oh, pay us a sure. salary. Absolutely, we're, yeah. we're, we're saving money versus paying, you know, a, tra- a traditional manager. Yeah. But yeah. And everyone, th- that's the other thing, like the managing the band takes a lot of time. I mean, I don't, if I'm not practicing, I'm still like working at August Burns Red. I'm not just like, playing the xbox yeah like there there's there's work to be done there's a lot of work to be done and and i enjoy that work and i don't know that everyone else you know in the band would enjoy that work and the other guys who aren't active in the management side have you know things that they enjoy doing and you know matt teaches does a ton of drum lessons and stuff and jake has heart support and does a clothing line and everyone's got their got their other things so it works out well yeah that's good just want to do management are you not managing other bands but you think you would just you'd like to do that or not until yeah, I, 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 don't the, I don't at the moment and yeah i mean it's it's not something i'm like actively looking to like pick up bands and manage them right. i think that uh i'd be into it but i also don't want to i don't want to overextend myself i i think that you know abr is still very busy and we're we're doing a good job of staying super on top of everything on the business side and i don't want to take on like a couple other bands and then suddenly August Burns oh, Red yeah, starts yeah. to slip with on the business side. I think that would be foolish. How, <laughs> um, you know, that's really weird to, you know, just to make that connection. If you think about it, uh, I, I, I talked to Tim from under oath a good bit and he comes on podcast whenever. And, um, I identify Tim and me as having similar roles in our bands that we do where we run a lot of the business and get stuff going and arrange the music and are very particular about some of that internal stuff. Yeah, and then I didn't really think about it, or I didn't often always pop into my head. But we did that tour together, and you certainly are that guy in your band. You know, like I know the other guys contribute and write and do a lot of other stuff too. But you have that point guard kind of thing going for, right. for your band. So, and again, we were discussing arranging, and we have different methods, of course. But that that's the interesting people in, in a lot of bands. You know, is that that yeah. that and that and Tim manages other artists, and I help manage. I manage help manage and our band and help other bands in a, in a similar way is doing right. artist management and stuff like that. So that's interesting how all those work together, like arranging yeah. somewhat managing, somewhat creative, uh, good with people. That's the similar set of skills that you, you and Tim and I all fall in, right into that category. We should start a management company together. <laughs> now, maybe we wouldn't get along. I think we need to be surrounded by other types. I don't know. I don't know that you need a bunch of us. <laughs> I think Tim already has one. Anyways. Yeah, no, yeah. Tim's doing super well with all that too. But that's interesting, man. JB, I've really enjoyed catching up with you today. Yeah, man. 
Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you can come back anytime if you want to talk about anything specific or whatever. I love thinking out loud. I, I love using the podcast as an opportunity to catch up with people and stuff too. So yeah, I'm glad for you having a baby and all that. I mean, it really is awesome to see these people I've known for 15 and 15 years sometimes go from being I mean, I remember when your first record came out. I didn't meet you at that time, but I remember when you guys first had a first record. I think there's part of yep. me that thinks of you as some new band, some new little band coming up. Oh, whoa. Who, who are these kids? <laughs> so, you know. I, I remember you guys living at John Dunn's house. Oh, really? Like, talk about you guys crashing at his apartment yep. up in Seattle. Like, yep. he's like, yeah, it's really Emory. Like, when we were getting That's signed, right. I think you guys were still maybe in that. That's right. Like, Living, living in his apartment. Yeah, we were John staying in his apartment. Yeah. Signed us a solid seat. So that's, that is funny. It is. It is. We got, got some history, Matt. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we got a long way to go. Life can be long sometimes, I think. I mean, right. I keep thinking, like, are we almost done here? Like, But no, I don't I've got, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm doing this now. And doing, I, I, that's what I'm saying when I'm asking you that. I have... I cannot imagine what I'm doing now, playing music and doing this or what you're doing. I cannot imagine five years from now it's just the same, or certainly not ten. But we got a long way to go before we die. I hope so. I don't know. Right. I don't know what we're gonna hey, do. You'll figure it out. I mean, you're we'll do. Yeah, we'll we'll run into each other and keep doing stuff another decade and another. I imagine because it's not like we're about to go work at factories. I don't think that one's gonna happen. So no, we'll that see. is definitely not on the uh, on the plans. Yeah. <laughs> well, onward and upward, and enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Thank Jamie. Yeah, all right, buddy. We'll see you later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.